Hello, my name is Brett Dillon, and this is The Movie Chronicles. This episode finds us in 1934 to take a trip around the world, starting from France with La Atlanta. Director and script, Jean Vigo. Script, Jean Guinet and Albert Riera. Director of photography, Boris Kaufman. Editor, Louis Chavance. Music, Maurice Jaubert. Actors, Dita Palo, Jean Dast, Louis Lefebvre, and Michel Simon. Jean Vigo left a very small body of work behind when he died, but that body of work has been hugely influential on all who have followed after him. In this film, he is able to show a character wrestling with himself, albeit only a modified version of this sequence appears on the DVD version, uses music as a key to the motivations of the characters, and realistically portrays the characters without sentiment or judgment. They are themselves. After multiple viewings, the most impressive aspect of this film, within the concept of its time, is its use of music as a leitmotif and a driver of the plot. Hollywood was already moving towards musical motifs as a character signature on the soundtrack, but no one else seems to have integrated the music into the plot. The device in this film is a barge song, not surprisingly, we first hear it on the barge, where it represents happy times. We then hear it in a variety of settings, until the full orchestral version reunites the couple. Lack of communication almost leads to a marriage breakup, but all is happily resolved at the end. The plot has a faint echo of Murnau's Sunrise. The couple in that film are broken up by a scarlet woman. Vigo has his couple pulled apart by the mundanities of their existence. They must work to live, yet they never earn enough to actually live. The wife decides she's had enough and runs away to the city. Her husband eventually finds her, and they decide that love transcends their poverty. It's a surprising message to come from Jean Vigo, the son of an anarchist. His final message to the world is that the poor should be content with their poverty. I am absolutely convinced that was not Vigo's intention, not least dying so soon after completing this film. His eye was on the poetic visual possibilities implicit in the story. He sees a love story as a kind of poetry from the pastoral opening of the wedding scene to the commercially cluttered scape of the city at the finale. Locations resonate with a visual poetry. The couple are sailing on a barge down the river of life, and it's not always a smooth ride. Scriptwriter Albert Riera was born on January the 28th, 1895, in the East Pyrenees of France. Albert was a writer-director and cousin of Jean Vigo. Editor Louis Chavance was born on December 24, 1907, in Paris, and he died in 1979. During World War II, Louis co-wrote mystery novels with director Louis Daquin. 
He scripted a number of films during the war, and this became his primary occupation after the war. Composer Maurice Jaubert was born on January 3, 1900 in Nice, and he died in 1940. He first trained as a lawyer before studying music. His family were musical, and the young Maurice, at age five, was already playing piano. In 1916, he enrolled at the Nice Conservatory of Music and studied harmony, counterpoint, and piano. He was also awarded his first piano prize in 1916. He left Nice to study law in Paris and returned in 1919 as France's youngest lawyer. This was followed by military service, the boredom of which saw him compose his first works. Demobilized in 1922, Maurice decided to return to the study of music, which he did in Paris under Albert Gros. It was director Albert Cavalcanti who encouraged him to score films. This came about in a rather protracted manner. Maurice wrote his first stage music in 1925 and then was commissioned to write works for the Playella, a player piano. He became enamoured of this technique and went on to record many roles for the company. In 1929, he met Albert Cavalcanti and was soon sought after by directors Jean Vigo, René Claire, Julien Duvivier, Marcel Carnet, and Henri Stork. He also became a favourite composer to steal from for François Truffaut, but that is in the future. Maurice became the musical director for the Pathé Nathan Studio. World War II interrupted this career, and he died from wounds he received successfully blowing up a bridge. Actor Dieter Palo was born on September 4, 1908, in Germany, and she died in 1971. Dieter trained as a ballet dancer, but moved to the Babelsberg Film School to study acting. It was Eric Pommer who discovered her and signed her to UFA. She went to Hollywood in 1930 to do German-language versions of U.S. films. She was soon back in Europe, however, working in France. In World War II, she was deported to Germany as an enemy alien. After the war, she went into semi-retirement. History came back with a vengeance in 1934. On... January the 7th, the Flash Gordon comic strip was first published in the United States. January the 20th, the Japanese company Fuji Photofilm was established. January the 26th, a 10-year German-Polish non-aggression pact was signed by Nazi Germany and the Second Polish Republic. Let's see how long that lasts. January the 30th, in Nazi Germany, the political power of the federal states, such as Prussia, was substantially abolished by the law of the reconstruction of the Reich. The federal states not only blessed, but coming out of the Great Depression, they also felt Reich. Mental note to self, that gag only works on paper. February the 6th. The French far-right leagues rallied in front of the Palais Bourbon in an attempted coup d'etat against the Third Republic. 
needless to say, a fourth republic does not emerge. However, on February the 9th, Gaston Dumerg formed a new government in France. Meanwhile, Greece, Romania, Turkey and Yugoslavia formed the Balkan Pact. February 12th to the 16th, the Fatherland Front in Austria consolidated its power in a series of clashes around the country. February the 21st, Augusto Cesar Sardino was assassinated in Managua by the National Guard. February the 23rd, King Leopold III of Belgium succeeded to the throne following the death on February the 17th of his father, King Albert I. March the 1st, Manchuria became Manchukuo following an invasion by the Japanese. Winter is coming because there's a nip in the air. March the 3rd, John Dillinger broke out of Crown Point County Jail in the USA with a wooden gun. He crossed the state line to enter Illinois, allowing the FBI to begin hunting for him. March the 12th, Prime Minister in duties of the state elder, Konstantin Patz, and General Johan Leidona staged a coup in Estonia to neutralize the popular right-wing VAPS movement. This started the era of silence. March the 13th, John Dillinger and his gang robbed the first national bank in Mason City, Iowa, stealing $52,000. That's about $52,000 plus in today's money. March the 20th, the Great Hakodati Fire kills at least 2,166 people in southern Hokkaido, Japan. March the 24th. The Tidings McDuffie Act is passed, allowing the Philippines a greater degree of self-government from the United States. They no longer need to kowtow to carpetbaggers like Douglas Fairbanks. By my calculations, setting out from France and jumping ship a couple of times, you should arrive in New Zealand in time to sing the theme song of the Young New Zealanders Club, director unknown. The club was set up by the Carriage Film Distribution Company. Even the date of its first release is contentious. I'm guessing somewhere between 1934 and 1938, based on the sound quality and editing. Sir Robert Carriage was born on October 30th, 1901 in Christchurch, and he died in 1979. He was a businessman who created a cinema chain of 133 cinemas, which was supplied product by his distribution company. At this time, this was the biggest exhibition chain in Australasia. In 1946, he sold 50% of the business to England's rank organization, and it was renamed Carriage Odeon. Although the New Zealand Film Archive lists this film as coming from Carriage Odeon, 1946 is far too late a date for this film. This listing probably relates to its being sourced from the Carriage Odeon vaults. The sound quality is similar to what director Rudolf Hayward was achieving with his technology in the 30s. And it wouldn't surprise me to learn this film was made from a loan of that equipment. Rudel did want his films to be distributed. 
The film is propaganda aimed at a child audience. It takes the form of a sing-along which mimics what you might encounter in a live theatre. Musically, I am still shuddering. Maori Days, director, unknown. This silent film begins with a canoe poi dance. This is memorable in that a number of different camera angles are used to add variety to this sequence. Then we get flax harvesting as a segue into a weaving section. We are shown basket weaving, fariki, carpet weaving, and korowau, cloak weaving. This leads into pupu, skirt making. We are shown how flax is dyed to create patterns on the finished product. This is a process akin to tanning. The film ends in a poi dance. So let's get moving to Ireland. You're yanking my chain. Isn't it cheaper just to cross the English Channel and then the Irish Sea than set out from Christchurch, New Zealand? Okay, but I'm not paying for it. Sorry, folks, that's something that should have been sorted out pre-show. It's so hard to get good help these days. Oh, yeah, I noticed you're not the one walking home from Ireland. I keep stubbing my toes on all those waves. Anyway, after jumping ship several times again, you're aiming to wash up on the Aran Islands for Man of Aran, director, script, and director of photography, Robert Flaherty, editor, John Monk, music, John Greenwood, actors, Coleman Tiger King, Maggie Darain, and Michael Darain. Flaherty's Irish documentary is like his Nanook of the North. He is intent on showing an anachronistic view of an isolated community. The photography is excellent, the dramatic structure works. This is Flaherty's first experiment with sound. The Foley sound works, but the dialogue not only adds nothing to the film, it distracts from the images. Director Robert Flaherty was born on February the 16th, 1884 in Michigan, USA, and he died in 1951. Today, Robert is principally known as a controversial documentarian and ethnographer. The controversies center around his recreations of community life. Even from his first feature film, he seemed determined to show native life as it was 20 or more years earlier and present this as if it were current. This was probably racist in intent and charitably can only be described as deceptive. He seems to have consistently believed that the past was a golden age. His father was an iron ore miner who took his sons on many expeditions in the wilderness to teach him survival skills. The family moved to Canada in 1897. Robert studied at both the Michigan College of Mines and Upper Canada College. He began active life as an explorer for Sir William Mackenzie's Canadian Railroad. He mined for ore and mapped areas in Hudson Bay and founded Flaherty Island in the Belcher Archipelago. He didn't take filmmaking seriously until the release of his first feature film in 1922. This film was financed by the Revlon Frere Fur Company. His financing arrangements have also proved to be a source of controversy in the modern era. He said, 
film is the longest distance between two points. Editor John Monk was born on January 24, 1908, in Rottingdean, England. John started in film at the age of 20 under his given name, John Goldman. He changed his name by deed poll to John Monk in 1938. I wonder what was happening in the world at this time to make him think a change of name was a good idea. Only history can tell. Composer John Greenwood was born on June the 26th, 1889, in London, England, and he died in 1975. John studied viola and horn at the Royal College of Music. During World War II, he served on the BBC European service as an assistant music supervisor. Next episode takes us island hopping in 1954, so bring your seasick pills. If you want to further your knowledge about movies from the 1930s, then look no further than the ebook Movie Chronicles 1930. Still in production, but due for release at an e-store near you shortly. If you're a fan of this show, why not join other fans and become a pod person by contributing to Patreon or Buzzsprout? It's like being an athletic support, but less intimate, if you know what I mean. Keep safe until we meet again. Ah, sincerity. I think I nailed it. No, wait, is this mic still live?